Greetings and welcome to the Audio Tidbits Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy the show. This episode of Audio Tidbits Podcast brings to you part four, the last part, of Just One Big and Happy Family. In the first three parts, and especially in part three, you learn it how to sample individual risk, marital risk, and parent risk. As our focus shifts to assessing getting along risk, it may at first seem like a very long stretch for you to make as you develop your ability to understand and evaluate your family's risk level. Here is why it may seem difficult. So far, assessing risk has been a process of identifying behavior and attitudes that put your family at risk. Assessing getting along risk is not the same kind of process. It is nonetheless, not all that difficult. Earlier I introduced you to the importance of relationships, communication, problem-solving, and decision-making. As we shift to getting along risk, we are interested in the same four aspects of getting along, relationships, communication, problem-solving, and decision-making. With getting along risk, each of the four aspects, relationships, communication, problem-solving, and decision-making, has four levels. They can be numbered from zero to three. The zero level is the best or most functional level. At that level, people in the family are getting along quite well. At the three level, people in the family are not getting along at all. Things are quite dysfunctional and the risk is critically high. I think this will get a lot clearer as we consider the four risk levels in more detail for each aspect so you can assess your family's getting along risk level for relationships, communication, problem solving, and decision making. Once you have mastered this tool in addition to your earlier learning, you have all the tools you need to understand the extent to which your family or other families are at risk of bad outcomes. Relationship risk is the first aspect of getting along risk. Within families that get along well, relationships are interdependent. Here is how it works. Everyone relates to everyone else based on each person's needs and interests. All family members are seen as important and each person receives consideration. Within an interdependent family, each relationship depends on the others. In this sense, family members are interdependent. At a less effective level, family relationships are supportive. This means family members do not try to adjust to each other but to try to help and support each other. They will be sensitive and helpful when it does not require unusual effort or changes in their ways of doing things. At a higher risk level, family relationships are protective. This often occurs in families where alcoholism or violence are present. Think about TJ's relationship with his mother. Family members learn to stay out of the way as much as possible and play the family game. The main rule of the game is not to upset things and to do what they can to protect each other. The protection is of course, from the alcoholic or family member who becomes violent. Recall TJ's trying to protect his mother when Leroy was assaulting her in the kitchen. At the highest risk level, family relationships are fragmented. There is not a family in any normal sense. People go their separate ways and try to stay out of each other's way. This is what happened in TJ's family. First, Pam left and then TJ was pushed out. When he was younger, his mother tried to protect him, and over time, family relationships for Pam and TJ became fragmented. Once the children were out, the adults could maintain their relationship. Communication is the next aspect of getting along risk. Communication in some families is very good and very bad in others. At its best, 
communication is congruent. This means family members are as the saying goes, usually on the same page. They listen and seldom misunderstand. This is true whether the communication is relaxed and comfortable or more tense and heated. It is true whether the interaction is quick or more leisurely. Congruence is there in the sense of fit, meaning, intent, and feeling. It is not usually necessary to read between the lines, wonder what someone meant, or be concerned about whether what was said was what was intended. In other families, communication is searching. This happens when families are somewhere between hearing and understanding each other and finding themselves unable to communicate. Family members are trying to find or search out common meaning and understanding. Sometimes they succeed. Nonetheless, much of the time they do not. Here is the problem. As a family member, you cannot tell for sure on any given occasion. This means you are always a little uncertain and anxious. You cannot trust and depend on what others say or how they respond to what happens. At the ritualistic level, communication has little to do with trust, faith, and understanding. People say what is expected and hear what others say as nothing more than an automatic and expected response. Each person is on his or her own. But everyone goes through the motions and conforms with the family rituals. The value is in the ritual and not in honesty, openness, and caring. For example, did you get any real sense of interest and caring when TJ visited his mother 20 years later? At the most risky level, family communication is random. Sometimes people talk and sometimes not. Sometimes what they say is relevant and sometimes not. A key to this is hearing people say things that seem unrelated to the conversation or noticing they have completely changed the subject. For example, the question might be, what do you think about it? The random responses, are we going to eat soon? Children who have grown up in families where communication is random are as they say, like talking to a stone wall. They are usually deferential. But either they do not respond or came back with something random or unrelated. It is as if they were paying no attention or had been hearing a totally different conversation. Not only are they on a different page, they are not even in the same book at times. It's interesting to note that as communication became more random in TJ's family, the truth became irrelevant. Leroy and TJ's mother said whatever served their purpose. And the fact that TJ became the scapegoat did not matter. Let's now shift to problem-solving risk. Communication and relationships tend to be at the same level in a family. The risk level for each is usually about the same. Now think about how your family goes about problem-solving. It likely matches the levels of relationships and communication. For example, when relationships are interdependent and communication is congruent, problem solving usually is flexible. This means it depends on who has the problem and who is in the best place to solve it. Each family member depends on each other member to handle things appropriately. Here is how problem solving works at a somewhat higher risk level. Suppose relationships are supportive and communication is searching. How would your family solve problems? you likely would help each other search for solutions. This is exploring. Here is the difficulty with problem solving by exploring. Your child says, I do not know how to do my homework. It's a problem, you respond, I don't know what the problem might be. Let's talk about it. What are some possible reasons why you don't know how, as you see, if exploring is the norm for problems from trivial to serious, life can get rather tedious. Also, it is not clear who is or should be responsible for the problem. The risk becomes clearer as the level deteriorates. In high-risk families, problem-solving is mechanical. 
no, may be the mechanical response to any request. It may be that getting angry or upset is the mechanical reaction to any problem. We will do whatever your father says, is another possibility. Some families use worrying and fretting about everything as the usual approach. The point is every problem is dealt with in the same way, by the same people. There is no thought of finding a solution fitting the person having the problem and what works best for the welfare of the family. This is in part, why families have the same recurring difficulties and children continue problematic behavior despite efforts to help them change. The idea that new behavior and approaches might lead to better outcomes is simply a foreign notion. For them, it is unfamiliar, uncomfortable, and thus not desirable. As someone once said, fools rush in where fools have been before. At the least functional level, there is no problem solving. This can be hard to see through. This is why. If nothing is done, events keep moving and things happen. Problems may get worse, but sometimes things work out despite the fact that nothing was done. It is a law of averages kind of thing. When they do work out, the temptation is to give someone credit for solving the problem. If they get worse, one may assume that the effort to solve the problem just did not work out. If you look closely though, you will find that no one is doing anything to solve problems. This is what finally happened with TJ. Fortunately he finally got his life together. Leroy and his mother probably think this means they had done fine, all things considered. Finally let's shift our attention to decision-making. In well-functioning families, decision-making is task-centered. Usually, anyone needing a decision either has or can earn the right to make the decision. For example, your 10-year-old may be told when to study. By 12, she may get a little encouragement. By 15, studying is her task and when to study is her decision. Even then though, she probably will not be the one to decide whether she studies, she just decides when. At the same time, she may be the one to decide about her bedtime but not about whether she gets up to go to school. You still decide that she has to go to school. Somewhat less functional is decision-making that is participatory. This is hard to see since it is a method often presented as the best way. The idea is for all family members to participate in most decisions. The implication is that participation is like having a vote. When stated this way, the risk is easier to see. Not everyone does or should have a vote. Getting the ideas and opinions of others and taking them into consideration is different than everyone having a vote. I will think with you about the problem, but I will not decide for you. It is your problem and your decision. You and I will talk about the problem and then you will decide. The participatory approach would be, you and I will talk and then we will decide. Autocratic decision-making is more obviously risky. The autocrat, usually an adult but sometimes a child, makes all decisions based on whatever pleases or seems best to him or her. No one else makes decisions or learns how to make decisions, for that matter. At the extreme, decision-making is paralyzed. No one decides and nothing gets resolved. An autocrat can at least decide something. This says nothing about the quality of decisions, but even bad decisions may in the long run, be better than no decisions. You can sample the behavior and attitudes of your family members and make a judgment about getting a long risk. Based on your judgment, you can determine the level of risk for your family. If you like the idea of assigning a score, do it in the following way. Decide where your family falls on relationships, communication, problem-solving, and decision-making. The best way to do this is to take an average. For example, Make a judgment about each relationship. Is it interdependent, supportive, protective, or fragmented? Use zero, 
one, two, or three to score the relationship. Now, what is the average or norm for your family? Add together the scores for each relationship and divide the sum by the number of relationships. The result is the average for your family. Is communication congruent, searching, ritualistic, or random? Is problem-solving flexible, exploring, mechanical, or none? Is decision-making task-centered, participatory, autocratic, or paralyzed? TJ's family likely gets an average of two for relationships, a two for communication, a two for problem-solving, and a two for decision-making. The family risk score is, then, eight. You may decide the family's score is even higher. Generally, anything higher than four is an indication of some risk. For TJ's family, the getting-along risk was moderate to high. Specifically for Leroy and TJ's mother though, the risk level between them was lower. That is why they are still together. It seems getting TJ out of the family was enough to maintain what they had going with each other. Remember Pam had already left before TJ.
Music by Kevin McLeod.